Uh, doctors are important in our society, physicians, right? My daughter's uh, studying to be a nurse, and she has a lot of compassion. Uh, and so I was a little worried about that with Hannah, because she just feels with everybody. And like she's helping people, is this going to be possible for her to see these problems and be able to handle that as she tries to tend to the, the needs? And uh, she's, she's doing well. Um, but the, the doctor in their, um, in their compassion should be forthright about the condition and sharing what is needed and the best solution and not be concerned about monetary things, but definitely not concerned about someone's feelings in sharing a diagnosis, Right? I don't know if they want to hear about this because this is kind of a bummer for their day. And I really want them to leave happy. So I'm not going to tell them about what's going on inside. That would be malpractice, right? Um, lady in Chicago area is suing Oak Park urologist for failing to inform her father of a cancer diagnosis two years before. And then he passed away. But as he went in there for a procedure, they told him he was cancer-free. And then the pathology test said something different. Right? They failed to inform the patient of a dangerous cancer inside. And all of us would recognize on a physical level that is morally wrong, reprehensible. You should have your degree taken from you if you're so concerned about a person having a good day that you're not willing to tell them that cancer is eating up their body or that they have gangrene that will spread and cause greater harm if it's not dealt with. It's interesting the Bible uses that term gangrene to refer to sin. The physical illustration of what sin is and can do in our lives. And so it would be not just negative, it would be morally reprehensible for a pastor or leader to acknowledge or see sin in a community or a society or being developed and celebrated and just say, well, I don't want to give someone a bad day. I don't want to say something that may, someone may think is offensive because of what is said because this is a difficult thing in their lives. Well, that would be morally cause the pastor or leader to be morally culpable. And as you read Israel's history, you find this happening. As I'm reading Ezekiel right now, but you see Isaiah, Jeremiah as well. You have these faithful prophets who would say, Israel, you're following into sin. This morning I'm reading Ezekiel 14, I think it was 14, and the repeated refrain was they had set up idols in their heart. They had set up idols in their heart. So it wasn't just talking about the idols that we imagine, but it's the idols of a miracle, the idols of the heart. He's saying, because they didn't acknowledge it, this, that you're worshiping this instead of God, you're living for this instead of God, it's an idol. But their leaders ignored that. And they continued to say, peace and prosperity, peace and prosperity, don't worry about it, God's going to keep ignoring it, keep ignoring it. And Ezekiel found them culpable. The religious leaders today are culpable if they're more concerned about their reputation about others' perception of them um, and continue to ignore a society that continues on the downgrade, a slide further and further into depravity. Instead of pastors and leaders dealing with scriptures that talk about it, and this is why we go verse by verse through scriptures, right? As we, like, we don't pick whatever sin that, uh, I'm not struggling with that, so let me preach on that today. No, we just look at the next, and, and all of us will find are in Romans 1. Right. Satan has designer sins that he's set up that, that really will catch everyone. All of us need Jesus.
And so we're all in need of the gospel, but if we don't recognize the good, we won't recognize the good news unless we don't see the diagnosis, the bad news. No, this is sinful. You need to repent of this sin and trust in Jesus and he'll change you to love him and to find your satisfaction not in your desires, your lusts, and your sins, but in him. That's the theme of our service today. Find your satisfaction not in any desire, but God alone. Especially not a fallen desire, a desire that that would, that would lead you away from God. So we cannot believe in God's salvation if we don't we need, know we need rescue. You can't trust in a Savior if you don't need saving. And so that's why these are so important. This is why Romans 1 and 2 start this way. Right? All of us need to continue to live in this, with this idea in mind. I am always in need of the gospel. Every day, every moment of my life, I always need the gospel. And Jesus is so merciful to me every second of my life because if it were not for him, I would never please the Father. Yet every moment of my life, I am always pleasing the Father because I stand in Christ alone. Let's look at the text here as he deals with a specific sin that, again, many leaders would, would desire us to gloss over and ignore. That would be the, maybe the popular thing. It would definitely be the popular thing as far as pop culture. But even in many religious settings, and I would guess most churches in Forest Hills that have buildings would say the same thing. You're, and I think for sake of time, I'm going to just skip over that review of one, two, three, four. Let me just read those. Um, your theology affects your actions. Okay, so we're seeing that, and we're dealing with the actions that demonstrate our theology. It points to the need for the gospel. The downgrade of depravity shines greater light on the solution of the gospel. And so we deal with the issue of the need because we love the gospel. We don't ignore it, shy away from it, but also we don't berate and belittle because we know we all need the gospel. It's the same solution. And so the situation Paul wrote to in his city is very similar to Queens, our city, very similar. Very religious, just like Queens is very religious, and yet very anti-Christ. Not many Christ followers. The attitude of the Christian must always be one of sharing gospel truth and love, not arrogant condescension. I can't believe you struggle with that. Sin. Right? There is a woman at the well love for others that says, let me point you to Jesus. No matter where you are, let me put you to Jesus, Okay. All right, let's jump into our text for today. Uh, they've changed the truth for a lie. And so the, the punishment is that God is, God is handing them over. Um, so look at the all right, three points. The divine action, what does God do? The human alteration or exchange, what do humans do in response to what God does? And then the final conclusion, we have the final handing over from God to a society. So verse 26, we find the final, I'm sorry, the divine action. What does God do? For this reason, God does what? Gave them over. God hands them over is the action. What does God do? He releases them. He hands them over. Um, this is, again, the second time we've seen this. The second of three, I think I have this here. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll uh, get to it in a minute. Um, the second of three handing overs, 
Right, the word handover or release in the New Testament is used to refer to someone who's arrested and then handed over to the authorities. That's the picture. God is, God is saying, okay, you're guilty. I'm going to hand you over to this person who is arresting you. It's a theme or a, the picture in the Old Testament would be God handing over the Israelites in their sin to an invading country or army. God handed them over to the Philistines, right? Because they turned from him and the desires and demands that he had, he's going to hand them over to an enemy. He's going to hand them over to an invading army. And so that pictures the idea here. There's someone that's arresting and God's just releasing them to that. Now what's fascinating, not fascinating, but what's an interesting picture here is who is God handing them over to? It's not a person necessarily. It's actually to themselves. He's allowing them to be imprisoned and captured by themselves. But it's one aspect of themselves. For this reason, God handed them over to what? He hands them over to degrading passions. Degrading passions. You can say dishonorable desires. It's degrading is the word there in the New American Standard. Um, the idea of honorable, there are things that are honorable and there are things that are dishonorable. Those things that God desires, there are things that God uh, condemns or says this is not honorable. Not worthy of honor is sinful. And so God delivers them over to dishonorable. Dishonorable what? Passions. Degrading dishonorable passions or lusts. We all have longings, hungers, thirsts, desires, right? Desires for food, desires for sleep. I don't see anyone sleeping right now. I just said that, okay? We have desires for sleep. We have desires for food. We have desires for fulfillment, for meaning, for satisfaction, for relationships. There's sexual desires, all these different desires. And we're going to deal with that, that whole area, arena of sexual desire in another uh, session together. I'm just going to focus on the text today and our, our world's infatuation with identity based on that and kind of the history of that. But today we're really mainly just focusing in on the text. This is not our normal word in, in Greek for that desire that can be positive or negative based on how we use it. I have a desire for food, but if all I eat is Big Macs, that's sin. I eat three Big Macs a day, it's just going to hurt my body and it's wrong. Um, and so any desire that's natural can be twisted or can go out of the realms of God's leash that God says, okay, here's your desire and I want you to, to fulfill this, but in a way that's pleasing and in a way that I've condoned it in the fence of my yard. This is not that word. This word is used in negative contexts. It is sinful desires. If you're taking notes, let me encourage you to write uh, the Another place this is mentioned. Okay. I thought I had both of them. There's only two others. Um, yeah, there they were. Colossians 3, 5 and 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5. Colossians 3, 5. These are both very instructive. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, 
which amounts to idolatry. So he's like, you're going to have these desires, like greed, but these are wrong desires. You need to consider those as dead. Your body, your members, the hands or the eyes or whatever that wants in your body to serve out those desires need to be dead. You're like, Jesus has put that to death. The second one would be 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5. So if I were you, I would, in the margin of your Bible, just put those references there in pencil or pen, and then every time you see that text, you can go back to the connotation of the other passages that give light to it. 1 Thessalonians 4, let me read this. This is actually right in the context of sexual desires. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You have a desire to please God. You have desires for, for sex. And he's saying, I want you to, to abstain from sexual immorality. Right? Fulfilling that desire in any way that would be against the fences that God has placed in a monogamous marriage. Right? One man, one woman. And so that is what the Bible clearly teaches. And so he goes on and says that each of you know how to possess his vessel, right, in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion. And that's our word there. So do not commit sexual immorality. Know how to control your body, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And they're living in a culture that is just rampant. Like every song they sing is about sexual immorality. All their sitcoms are about sexual immorality. All their movies include sexual immorality. That was their culture. That's our culture. Like, listen, that's no excuse. You live in, their culture was worse. It wasn't just the TV screen. There are people that are killing themselves for other people's pleasure. There's sexual immorality shown for other people's pleasure, not just on a TV screen. This was their society. And the Bible says this is lustful passion in society that's shameful, disgraceful, right? And that would be immorality. He's not focusing, in this case, in those contexts with with homosexuality. It's any kind of sexual immorality. And so what Romans is showing, what God's Spirit is showing us in Romans is that you have in a society, and what God puts here is safeguards, guardrails, we'd say maybe speed bumps, that help a society curb these desires, refrain from these desires. And so God has instituted family. He's just set us up that way by creating male and female. He's having children. He sets us up that way. That's one guardrail. He sets us up with conscience. That's another guardrail. He sets us up with general revelation, seeing all that's around us, but also seeing male and female. He sets us up with government, human government, that refrains people from taking advantage. He sets us up in community and society with a uh, desire to be honorable among my brothers and sisters as citizens of a city to curb these desires, to restrain these desires. But very often a society, a human society, ignores those speed bumps and it goes headlong against them and continues to push back, push back, push back from the leash And God just says, okay, you can have your way. And he lets society go down the hill. He lets society go down the slide. And he actually gives them leaders who will make laws that encourage it, that denigrate the family, 
that hate the family unit that God has made. And this is what Rome was. All the guardrails were gone. The speed bumps were gone. And that's why he's dealing with it here. And that's why this is such an important book for us to consider in Queens, in our society. God hands them over to pursue their desires just with a no leash at all. There's no pressure. There's no political pressure to curb the desire. There's no laws to curb the desire. There's no longer cultural pressure to curb the desire. Lustful passion, more immorality of, all, of any kind. What our society says is that's freedom. What this is saying is that's bondage. You're being handed over to those desires, and your society won't get that back unless Paul comes and preaches the gospel. Unless you come and preach the gospel, that's the hope. Hope is not railing on people for their sin. It's, this is sinful. Jesus is the answer for all of our sin. Religious sin, irreligious sin. Sexual expression. Sexual expression is not freedom. And so we have a society that is, is handed itself over. And in fact, it's part of our identity now. Your sexual expression, that desire being fulfilled is part of a person's identity. Uh, to where if you, you deny that, you're denying them as a person. Okay, and we'll, we'll talk about that another time and just talk about God's purposes for sex and how this, this uh, needs to be taught in a biblical way. So what happens here? As God allows a society to reject their creator and not worship him and now reject him existing and worshiping creation instead of creator, it's handed over to certain desires. And we have here the exchange. We have humans that exchange. What do they? There's a human alter, alteration, Right? What do humans do? An exchange from, and we'll summarize it this way, from the natural function to indecent action. Natural function to indecent. And you'll see the repeated, the repeated word of natural here and unnatural. And so it's exchange from nature, from what God set up by creation is what that means. Not saying, well, I saw a cat kill a dog. I saw a cat kill a mouse so I can kill someone, right? I saw it in nature. No, that's not what it's saying. Saying there's a created order, there's a natural order that God shows us, demonstrated, husband, wife, children, and, and humanity rejects that. So he starts off, verse 26, with women. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. And here's uh, one example. The women exchange the natural function for what is unnatural. Again, the focus here is natural, unnatural, and there's a reason for that. Who is the person here? The person is women, the women of the society. It's interesting here, the word used for women is not women or ladies, but both for the women and the men that he talks about. He talks about male and female, referring more to that, that biological male, biological female, than these are our ladies and gentlemen that he's talking about. What is the action? The action is that they're exchanging. Uh, we've exchanged God for glitter, and so he hands us over. Uh, and this is the second exchange here, right? From glory to grimy, worship and pure idolatry that he hands over. They exchange truth for a lie. We would say that's knowledge. We go from worship exchange to knowledge exchange and now given over to sexual immorality. And you see there, there's natural sexual acts that are changed for unnatural. And that would be unnatural passion. Unnatural passion. From worship to knowledge to passion. 
And so the, the females in the society, some were changing the natural to the unnatural, the natural function for the unnatural. The word function here in the original language has a sexual connotation. It doesn't necessarily have that connotation in English, the word function, but it would in that day. And so the New Living Translation kind of brings that out in their translation. Romans 1.26, the New Living Translation says, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. This is what the text is referring to. You link that with the beginning. He says this is shameful desire. This is a sinful desire. And he's saying, this is an example. The women have rejected the function of the man and have had relations with one another. And he, he focuses then again on the nature, the natural. Uh, the, they've, they've, yes, degraded passion. Their women exchange the natural function for what is unnatural. And, and people pick up on that. Now, I think that is important uh, in this text. Because what it is clearly showing is that there is a natural order that is a natural law that is clear by the way that God has made us. Uh, all the way back from creation. So God was dealing with the Pharisees. He says, haven't you read the first chapters of the Bible? From the beginning, God created male and female. So there's this natural law of male and female as God's intention and they're ignoring that natural intention. From creation, God has chosen male and female. There's no other way to have procreation, right? This is the, the natural procreation, male and female. And so you look at these, uh, these other animals. Okay, we got a right? male and female procreation, male and female, procreation, male and female, Adam and Eve, or Adam's name and them all, male and female, procreation. This is the natural, God's just saying over, this is natural. This is the natural order for sexual relations for family. And so we would say this is a natural law. And so the law is based not just on the Mosaic law, but on a natural cosmic law that God has developed. And that's why he's saying this to Gentiles too. This is not just for Jewish people to see who have the law of Moses. We'll get to that in a minute. But this is what you can see from God's natural law as he set up from creation. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That that's, has connotation of, sexual, of sex. They shall become one flesh. Also, the moral law reflects God's natural law. But he's saying, you're just rejecting that very beginning moral law that God gives by nature. As God rose Israel up, made them a nation, he gave them a law as well. And you have the same thing there. Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. God's natural law states it. God's moral law states it in the law of Moses. You see it all over. Jesus states it. You see it again in the epistles. Right? And so we have this natural order that humanity rebels against. And that was normal. Actually, it would be more common in that day would be for men and boys, which again, are, at least our culture is still hating that. But there are sections of our culture that want that accepted as well. 
But that would be the Roman culture. It would be much worse than our, it would be further down the slide than our culture. In the same way, verse 27, women, and in the same way, men. There's three immoral actions here that the text says. In the same way, also, the men did what? They abandoned the natural function of the woman. Again, this is nature. Nature teaches you this, and you're rejecting what God has demonstrated and made by nature. As we reject the creator, we reject the creative order. So the immoral actions is they, men, abandon the natural function of the woman. First action is abandoning. Um, men leave behind, uh, set aside God's created order for them. It was not good for man to be alone. And so he brought Eve to him. God made them to be a pair, compatible partnership, as illustrated in uh, even sexual expression. This is the way God made us, made for each other in biology, but also in life. What else did they do? Second action. They abandoned. They burned in what? In the same way they abandoned the natural function of the woman and did what? They burned in their desires toward one another. And so instead of the desire for a woman, they're burning in their desires for one another. They take the natural desire for a woman and they engage in sexual behavior, men with men. It's a picturesque word here. They're burning. The idea is a fire. Uh, it pictures something that's hard to control. Right? Fire is good. It gives light. It gives warmth. It gives heat. But if that fire gets out of control, it's beyond and it will hurt. And so it must be uh, used as God desires. And so you have these desires that can become burning desires that go out of control into what is unnatural and unlawful and, as described here, sinful. And so you see this pictured in Sodom. They shouted to Lot, Where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out that we may have sex with them. So Lot stepped aside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, don't do such a wicked thing. This is horrible. I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you. You can deal with them as you wish. Please leave these men alone. Stand back, they shouted. They're burning in their desires. Stand back, the fire continues. Fellow came to us as an outsider, and now he's acting like our judge. We'll treat you far worse than the other men. And they lunge toward Lot to break down the door. The angels have to pull him in and strike the men of the city with blindness. And they are still groping for the door. The burning is still there. This is a burning desire. It will not be controlled. And so it's the same in a society that loses its guardrails, that loses its speed bumps. It continues in desires and desires that would be unlawful. And so they burned in their lust toward one another, men with men, committing acts. What, what kind of acts? Committing indecent acts. Committing indecent acts. Indecent here would be a state of that which is, should be regarded as causing shame. It's the only other time it's used in the Bible, it's someone that is in Revelation running naked. Right, so there's, there's, there's shame there. You shouldn't be doing this. You should have propriety to put this away from you. 
But these indecent acts in society are, as we'll see, not just recognized but celebrated in our society. If you don't celebrate it, it's wrong. What's morally wrong? To not celebrate the shameful act. And so God, there's a consequence for this. Um, Men with men committing indecent acts And then there's one consequence, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. What is the penalty of their error? I don't know if uh, I sent this out in our weekly email with questions and answers, and this is one of the questions. I don't know if you spent some time thinking about that or digging into that. What is it to receive... Uh, for this sin, a, an error, right? There's an error here. There's a sin here. There's going outside of God's guardrails. There's, there's leaving the leash. There's going outside of the fence where all the traffic is. Um, what are the consequences? They receive a penalty for their error. And so they have, um, some interpreters would say, the, the own desire itself would be the penalty of their error. I do think we see every time we go against God's desires, uh, it doesn't work out well. No matter what it is, we're, in whatever way we're sinning, the way of the transgressor is hard. And if you choose to uh, uh, live a life that is, is taking from people as a head fund manager and you're twisting the rules so you can take advantage, you're going to find negative consequences for that. And if you're stretching God's or rebelling against God's desires for morality, you will find consequences for that. So we see that times at times in sexually transmitted diseases in both the homosexual community and also in just a sexually loose society in which we live, where there's free sex. The sexually transmitted diseases just run free, free and open. And this is a penalty for the error. But I think the greatest penalty for the error um, would not just be that, but it's, it's being left to live a life that does not repent and turn to the gospel. And so you could put in your notes there next to that passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Right? And so this is the ultimate penalty, not just in this life. Yeah, it's hard to live a life of transgression, but that can end up into a, an eternal state. Not eternal life, but eternal death. And so as someone continues in this way, as our society tends to continues in this way, there is a third handing over. And we'll deal with this in more detail uh, as we pick up the text again. But uh, the, the final thing is that there's this third handing over that God will, as they did not see fit to acknowledge God in any way any longer. There's no creator. There's no created order. There's no natural law. We're going to do whatever we want. We're going to throw our, his bands asunder. Live our own way. Get rid of his Messiah. Uh, Then he says, okay, you have a depraved mind. Wrong thinking. Just empty thinking is the result. It's the ultimate, the ultimate punishment. 
no thought of God. And so God will give them over to a, in their naturalistic expressions, naturalistic dogma, right? And so we see this as our schools continue to preach the public squares, get, get religion inside your house and that's all. And so we see it in our culture. It's turned away from the idea of God, pushing any type of sexual experience that perverts God's way as normal, essential to people's identity. And our society continues, continues, and continues that way, and it will continue to be even worse. And we'll pick that up at another time. But journalism then has no integrity unless it pushes this. Scientific community then mutilates little children. Right? This is a this is a mind that's devoid of thought. You've totally reject who God is, and what he wants for society. It's not progressive, it's regressive. It's not enlightened thought, it's darkened thought, lights out thought. And, and, and the sad thing is at some point the society becomes unable to be checked in that way because the thinking's gone. All the journalists are thinking that way. All of the entertainment is thinking that way. The education is pushing that way. And in that sphere, that sphere, that sphere, lights are off there, lights are off there, lights are off there. And sadly, in some churches, quote-unquote churches, they'll try to turn the lights off there too. Totally get rid of all the speed bumps. So what do we do in a society that continues that way? Oh, man, politics is the answer. No, no. Now, God uses laws to help curb Jesus is the only answer. And so I think, first of all, by application, we mourn over our society. Ezekiel didn't laugh. We're not like Jonah going up on the mountain and, and saying, oh, I can't wait to see God just burn this place up. That is a horrible, horrible, horrible attitude. That's the attitude of the Pharisee that says, here's a woman caught in adultery, let's stone her. No, that's not Jesus' attitude. You may be very religious, but you're just as lost if you have that attitude. That was Jonah's attitude. No, we mourn over our, Ezekiel mourned over us. He cried, he wept. Oh, Lord, please help us. May the gospel go forward. Secondly, we live purely unto God and in our own sexual desires. We live purely to the Lord. And thirdly, we pray and share the love of Christ to individuals. I may not be able to share this message with all of Queens, but I can share it with my friends. And you can share it with your friends in a very gracious, loving way that's at the well where they normally meet, right in a coffee shop, having over for dinner three Thursday nights in a row. And then, then, then in, not because you're, oh, I'm going to bait and switch, because you love them. You genuinely love them. And know that satisfaction comes from God alone, Christ alone. And God does call people from all of these communities to repent. Uh, he calls hedge fund managers to repent of their sin and believe the gospel. If you're a hedge fund manager, like, you, you may be doing everything by the book, I'm sorry. Like, but those who, those who are corrupting that. I had a friend, uh, a pastor friend here in the city that was leading a, a group about this and through this uh, teaching and uh, someone said, Pastor, can someone who's 
Does a homosexual ever, ever be saved? And he, he knew the truth, but there's some quiet there. And someone spoke up really loudly. I know it can, because that was me. Right? That, that passage in 1 Corinthians goes on. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. No homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. And what does verse 11 say? Such were some of you. Some of you in Corinth were that way. No doubt some of you in our church were that way. But as you repent and believe the gospel and continue to repent and continue to believe the gospel, Jesus changes you. Right, I mentioned this one last week, and I think we have uh, one copy left. Rosaria Butterfield, she shares that, her story that way. Some great interviews she has that are helpful. Anthony Falzano also tells his story. The book is called Such Were Some of You. His father had a breakdown that left him absent from the home. He was sexually abused by his brother, older brother as a child, sexually abused three other times. And so he feeling with vulnerability, with the feeling of guilt from this, and he began to experiment wildly sexually and became a male prostitute for years. Actually gained wealth and notoriety from that, the individuals that he worked with. But there was no fulfillment in his sexual identity that way, or the prosperity. And so someone told him of Christ, who had formerly had the same lifestyle, uh, Anthony trusted Christ, trusted the gospel. It took time, but um, God changed his desires. Uh, his wife and two kiddos started an organization to uh, help folks with the same history that he had. Uh, because he's, he, he saw many in the Christian community not trying to help, but just trying to berate. And he's like, that was, such were some of me. And I need to tell people and give them an answer. We know that God loves all and requests that all would leave all of our sin, all of our sin, and trust in Jesus and find eternal life. Eternal life. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes closed. This is a, I realize a, a, a different sermon just straight from the text, but not one that we deal with every week. Um, Maybe there's someone that you know, no doubt there are, many people that you know that would be involved in this lifestyle and they're very, very proud of that. Um, would you just say, Lord, uh, I know that in Corinth such were some of them and I just pray that you would help me to be the, the beacon of hope and light and be available and, and ready to share Jesus with this person. Share your son and may we all repent of desires that fall short of the glory of God and ask the Lord to find our satisfaction totally in him. Let's all spend a moment quiet as we respond to God's message and prayer. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'll